welcome back to the Policy Wonk podcast after a two-week hiatus. I'm Joe. And I'm Kale. What are we talking about today, Joe? And so, first off, we got some news out of Northeast Ohio um, in Ashtabula County. Now, my whole family's from Ashtabula, and if you live in Northeast Ohio, Ashtabula kind of has, has a bad reputation. And uh, this story does not improve that reputation uh, for the county or their city school district. Um, but recently, a group of former students from the Ashtabula Area City School District filed a federal lawsuit against a former teacher and uh, coach uh, in the late 1980s. And basically, it alleges that um, this teacher groomed and engaged in sexually inappropriate behavior uh, against them way back in the 1980s. And they also allege that district employees in Ashville area city schools knew about the issue, but they didn't do anything about it. And the students said that they feared that they'd be retaliated against if they came forward. Um, so the the teacher that has been accused and that the lawsuit was filed against is um i'm i cannot i'm not going to be able to pronounce their last name to be totally honest um i think it's pronounced sufert but what she did is that she would invite students to parties and provide them with alcohol and then she would like dress in provocative ways and then like make weird physical contact with people um, and at the time, of course, they were all minors. It's, it's really, it's just so, I mean, obviously it's gross because it's sexual misconduct, but the fact that it took so long for it to come forward because they were so afraid to come forward is just really kind of highlights like how fucked up, like trying to come forward as a victim of like sexual abuses in this country because it's a huge issue because everyone's always going to be like well why didn't you say it way back then because everyone's always going to question the victim which is not what we should be doing um but she was also like even after she was a teacher she was still like pretty active in the school district she was actually elected to the Asheville school board in 2009 and she served as the school board's president um, for a long time and was reelected for a fourth, fourth term as recently as 2021. Um, and then after she was reelected in 2021, the board got an anonymous letter talking about the sexual misconduct. Um, it's really, it's really wild to see because I know people from Ashtabula County that had known about this and had heard about this specific teacher and it's really wild to see it like a few years later after hearing about it to finally like for someone to do something about it and it's just really it's just so wild because you know my whole family's from that county so yeah coming forward is always brave especially if mm -hmm. it's something that was like forever ago especially against a teacher like these people are supposed to protect you and teach you and they're supposed to be your mentor in a lot of cases and for a teacher to just abuse that power 
and groom kids, like literally groom children, is so disgusting. I don't know if there was any like local charges filed. And also all this information comes from WKYC three in Cleveland. Um, but I think the county prosecutor declined to file any like I think state or local charges against the teacher. So it's all federal right now. So it's also crazy that people are coming forward and this person is an elected official. Because that's yeah. also a whole a whole separate hurdle to go over because they are in the public eye they're respected by the community so at least a little bit because they mm-hmm. win elections so that, that's a that's another big hurdle that victims have to like go over and honestly it's something that we have seen recently um with donald trump yeah that is a huge hurdle that 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 woman had to go over is the fact that he is the former president of the united states he's in the public eye some people respect him some um, and it's just, that's crazy. That's impressive on yeah. her end. That's impressive on these people's ends and Ashbula. It's, uh, good for them. Yeah. I, I really hope them that I hope they get the justice that they deserve and I hope they get some kind of closure quote unquote about, you know, what happened to them. Cause I, I couldn't imagine going through that. That's so unbelievably fucked. <laughs> But moving on, what's been uh, what's been going on in the state house, Kale? Seems like uh, a lot's been happening recently. So it's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I've spent more time at the state house in the last couple of weeks than I have in a long time. Um, other than the one week where I was there every day for a class, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, yesterday, I was at the state house. Senate Bill eighty three passed, um, which is the Higher Education Enhancement Act, which we've covered on this show. I talk about it a lot on Shaw Talk. We talked about it with Mike Eady. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the bill that was uh, proposed by Jerry Serino, Senator Jerry Serino. Um, enemy of Lake County and the pod. Enemy of the pod. But it, it does a number of things, including banning faculty the right to strike, like getting mm-hmm. rid of their right to go on strike. It interferes with, you know, it's talks about universities not establishing relationships with anything in China, which to me interferes with like study abroad trips, professors that um, maybe specialize in like Chinese culture, Chinese history, Chinese politics. Mm-hmm. They can't go there and study anymore. So it interferes with a bunch of stuff that way. It includes some tenure reform, which every professor I've talked to about it thinks that it's dumb the way that he wants it at least um it has a board of trustees training which is like one of the few things that is good about the bill it's a uniform statewide board of trustees training Mm -hmm. Um, it also requires a bunch of different classes to be taught um specifically american history courses and the american history courses have to teach a number of documents and serena slipped in uh, letter from Birmingham jail, MLK's letter from Birmingham jail. Oh, to make it sound like he's not just trying to push American propaganda. Yeah. But um, there's a video coming out from, from Shaw talk where I talked to the AAUP, the faculty union president um, at Ohio state. And he says, uh, if you want me to teach letter from Birmingham jail, oh, I'll teach a letter from Birmingham jail. 
he also goes on about how um, if you want to teach, if you want us to teach about the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to teach about Ho Chi Minh's Declaration of Independence, where he cites the American Constitution. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it does a number of things. And the Senate passed it yesterday. And even though there's a lot of pushback, um, you might remember President Laura Bloomberg, Cleveland State's president, yeah. and a bunch of students traveled to Columbus to testify against this bill. And they're not alone. Like Cleveland State student government is the first student government across the state who put out a statement saying this is dumb. This is crazy. Ohio State followed suit, I think. And there are organizing, like organizing groups of students on Ohio State's campus, on Kent State's campus, uh, Miami's campus, mm-hmm. who have all testified against this bill. There were uh, hearings for House Bill 151, which is the exact same thing, but on mm-hmm. the House side. There was a committee hearing at the same time as the Senate was voting on Senate Bill 83, and they, they had two overflow rooms because people were testifying against this thing. So it has a lot of pushback, and rightfully so. Um, another thing this wants to do is it just wants to get rid of DEI offices. It wants to decrease funding to the point where they just phase out of existence. Yeah. And See? that's something that a lot of students were testifying against yesterday. Mm-hmm. The um, the thing that scares me the most, specific the whole bill is garbage, obviously. But the two things that scares me the most is one, banning teachers from striking. Um, I think we've talked about it a lot in the past, and you would know this too because your family are educators. Um, yeah, striking is the most important tool that any worker could have because withholding your labor is obviously going to give you more leverage than your employer. So if you're not getting paid enough or if your benefits have been cut to an extent, you know, how are you going to fight for um, better working conditions for yourself when you can't take that kind of direct action? And SB 83 and Jerry Serino um, want to take that away from teachers. And I think that's the first step in trying to ban striking as a practice for most employees, even the private sector, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) Uh, Second is banning any university in the state from having a relationship with a Chinese institution or China or whatever you want to call it. It's so broad and correct me if I'm wrong. It's so broad that it, it would endanger study abroad programs. It could endanger any classes about teaching about China maybe professors that are from that are Chinese citizens. Um, You know, I I didn't even think about it. My junior, no, my sophomore year at CSU, I took a class about China. It was, I cannot remember the professor's name, but it was, it was just about how like China's history and its rise to like becoming an economic power in the world. And that class was so interesting and so like revealing about how China operates as a country and how it's become the second largest economic power on earth. And I think SB 83 would take that away from students. And that's wrong. He wasn't teaching us Chinese propaganda. He wasn't teaching us that, you know, Xi Jinping thought is amazing and wonderful. He was just talking about the history of China and how it became a prominent power and withholding like 
taking those classes away from students isn't going to make anyone more like patriotic or whatever. It's not going to make your institutions more non-biased. No, it's going to make everyone. It's ridiculous. It's going to make us all dumber. We're gonna it's going to make people dumber. <laughs> we're going to have experiences taken away from us that we would have gotten if this isn't a thing. But and even I won't I won't say the professor's name to maintain his privacy. But even conservative professors on campus testified against this bill. Mm-hmm. And still, Senator Serino didn't listen to them. The state Senate didn't listen to conservatives and Republicans and other conservative educators that were against this bill. They passed it anyways. They passed it anyways. And I think it's really revealing on how uh, legislators think about their constituents in the state. You know, I'm happy you brought that up because there's another instance where there was statewide pushback. Liberals... Democrats, conservatives, Republicans testifying against it, and the GOP didn't care. And that is HJR1, SJR2, mm-hmm. which we talked about also a number of times on this show. But a couple weeks ago, SJR2 passed. We were actually in the middle of recording when it passed, so we talked about it for a second. Um, but SJR2 made its way to the house and last week they voted on it and it passed and it i in the video that we posted which was we vote no ohio on youtube mm-hmm. um i said that it passed along party lines and we had to correct that because there were five republicans that voted against it so they didn't even have full support of their caucus yeah and there were hundreds of people in the building that day there were hundreds of people in the building the week before and they weren't listening there were hundreds of people who submitted written testimony hundreds more who wanted to give in-person testimony and it was all just kind of ignored in favor of special interests so for those of you who don't know hjr1 sgr2 are joint resolutions um that would ultimately make it harder to pass citizen-led constitutional amendments in the state of Ohio. Um, It raises the threshold to 60%. So instead of 50% plus one vote, it's 60%, which would let 40% of Ohioans or of voters in Ohio decide the outcome of a constitutional amendment, uh, like ballot issue. And that's just very anti-democratic to put it nicely. Small D. Small D. Um, but on top of that, it also makes it harder to just put something on the ballot because instead of getting signatures from 44 of the 88 counties, you have to get signatures from all 88 counties. And I've said it a million times, good luck trying to get a, a, at least one signature on like an abortion petition from Wyandotte County, because people don't understand when you're signing a petition, you're not like endorsing the issue. You're just saying, I'm willing to put this up for a vote so if people hear oh it's a petition to protect abortion rights they're just going to think if i sign this it means i'm Mm pro-abortion but it just makes it harder to do everything that we've done for the last 100 something years in the state of ohio and it's an attack on our small d democratic tradition here Mm -hmm. and like i said they just 
completely ignored it. And they claim that it's to protect the Constitution from well-funded, out-of-state influence. And Joe, I want to ask you, do you know why that's funny and why that's ironic? Who's, who's funding the Yes campaign? An out-of-state billionaire from the <laughs> state of Illinois. He's it's funding, funny that it's from a blue state. That's even funnier. Yeah, that's true. He's funding a PAC in the state of Ohio that is pushing this issue. And it's largely due to the abortion amendment in the fall. But it's more than that. They know, the Republicans in Columbus know that abortion rights have popular support in the state. They know that legalized, regulated recreational marijuana has support. They know that raising the minimum wage has popular support. They know that, uh, hell, anything that has to do with the right to organize is popular in our state. Uh, independent redistricting is popular. Yep. And these are all things that they are just, they're trying to move the goalpost because what the fuck are they going to do? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up this. I mean, obviously legal weed, but also um, the redistricting. Don't get me started about gerrymandering <laughs> in this goddamn state. But it has to be said that I've talked to Republicans that are generally supportive of raising the threshold. And I can understand that argument. Like, I can understand it. But I bring up to them, the legislator is not reflective of how people actually feel like partisanship wise and ideologically you know the our state house districts and our state senate districts are extremely lopsided towards the gop the state votes 54 you know 45 republican democrat it's not a swing state it's definitely more of a red state now but it's not almost super majority republican legislator state this is not wyoming this is not montana uh if anything we're more like i don't know what's a what's a weirdly liberal red state north carolina yeah we're it's like north carolina honestly yeah it's red but it's not it's not that red and raising the threshold to 60 percent, while we cannot vote for representatives that actually reflect how we feel is is how you keep that's how you establish one party rule this is how this is what happens in hungary enemy of the pod this enemy is what happens this is what happens in singapore too it's how governments establish one party states that still have the veneer of elections because people are still voting but uh they're changing the district so much that you know no one like there's no competitive elections anymore yeah, the politicians pick who's voting for them. And yeah. in a, you took that polarization class with me with uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Stack, friend of the Shout pod. Out. Shout out. But in my final research paper, which not to pat myself on the back, but it was really good. Um, <laughs> I argue for a long time about how polarization is a top-down endeavor. Yeah. I argue that initially it's bottom up. Initially people are polarized, but then over time, if we at the beginning elect polarized politicians, they stay polarized. Mm -hmm. And when, for example, in the state of Ohio, 
when they gerrymander districts and people who typically wouldn't be these like MAGA nut jobs have representatives that are, they also follow like that trend because most people aren't, I guess the term that we learned in that class was like politically sophisticated, Yeah, which stack doesn't like, I don't like, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. People, people look to these elected officials like they, they respect them because of their office. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be people that we trust and that we learn from. And if you aren't educating yourself and if you aren't taking time out of your day to read and do all that stuff and you're just listening to your elected official, I wish I could say that you could. I wish that you you could just listen to your elected official and it was like the truth and it was honest, but you can't. And a lot of people just listen to their elected official and they regurgitate some nonsense and that polarizes people, which is why um, I've said this a million times. Brian Stewart, the representative who proposed HDR one, he's from Pickaway Mm -hmm. County and Madison County. They're not going to follow the fact that he said a year ago, two years ago that the August election should be banned. They're going to, he's going to come back to his district and just say vote yes in August, which don't do not vote yes in August. But he's going to say that, and they're going to just listen. Mm-hmm. And that is the problem that people just follow their elected official without thinking critically about things. Yeah, and I think that gerrymandering and the fact that Republicans are putting themselves in positions of power that they wouldn't otherwise have without gerrymandering is a part of why Ohio is shifting to the right Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad you brought up the polarization uh topic because that class was it's probably one of the greatest classes i've ever taken Mm -hmm. um and yeah polarization sure initially starts at the voter level but once more politicians that are polarized get elected it flips and starts to permeate back down and then it just makes everything worse yep and I don't think that gerrymandering has caused polarization entirely. It's definitely caused some of it, but it definitely doesn't make it better. It's Certainly. definitely not making it any better. Certainly. Um, yeah, vote no in August. Um, if you need help, if you have if you have to register to vote, if you haven't already, uh, or if you need to update your address, go to the Secretary of State's website. I think it's SOSOhio.gov. Something like that. It'll be the pinned tweet on our Twitter account until the end of August. Yeah. And make sure you're telling your friends and family to vote no, because there's a lot. I've seen it a lot, at least on social media, specifically Twitter. Um, A lot of confusing things are being said about voting no and whatever. What you need to know is that you're voting no in August. Vote no in August. This election's costing you $20 million. I could think of literally a million ways. I could think of 20 million ways on how to spend $20 million better than a August 8th special election. Give it to me. Give it to me. Like, oh man. (laughs) Policy Monk will take it. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll take it off your hands. So Joe, let's move into Washington. The swamp. What is happening? (laughs) What is happening in the swamp? (laughs) (laughs) so i'm sure everyone's heard enough about the goddamn debt ceiling 
but it's very important to talk about because it, it's really it's really insane on how <laughs> close we are to literally def- like not paying our bills um in the sense of that republicans are using this as a legitimate way to try to get biden to cut spending is that they're threatening we just won't we just won't pay the we just won't service our debt what are you going to do then so <laughs> so republicans passed a bill in the house that would literally gut most of president biden's agenda the climate spending uh a lot of the infrastructure package which is ironic because that was passed on a bipartisan basis mm-hmm. um the irs agents that they think are like literally coming into your homes to take your piggy banks which they're not and that's a non-starter it wasn't it wasn't negotiated in good faith the white house and the senate's never going to agree to that but now the white house is trying to explore other options and one of them involves the 14th amendment and this has never been done before it was talked about before in the 90s under clinton and during barack obama's term and even then obama said we're not we're not talking about that because it would be so unprecedented but in this era of polarization and how close we're getting to just not paying our bills the biden administration is trying to plan out what they can do if this happens um so what the 14th amendment says essentially um is the federal government has to pay its time in full on time um now the full text of the 14th amendment if you don't remember it from uh gov class in high school um was passed after the civil war no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the united states this was basically to ensure that freedmen wouldn't you know would be granted the same rights as white men but there's that other provision in it saying that we have to pay our debt on time in full this would be like i said super unprecedented and it would cause an immediately it would definitely cause an immediate court challenge and no one like really no one really knows what would happen if biden did do this because there's two options that republicans could do don't challenge it and then lose big time because it shows that you got rolled over or two you challenge it and then is the treasury department allowed to just keep paying the bills without congress authorizing it or would they have to put a stay on it and then we still default anyways so that's the whole reason why it's so controversial because it kind of supersedes congress because they have power of the purse uh but also the constitution says that this country has to pay its debt on time in full it's really interesting uh at least for policy wonks maybe not for the regular person it is very interesting and it's it should be kind of kind of interesting to the normal person because if we default on our debt the results are supposed to be like catastrophic not just for americans but for the rest of the world it would be it it would be an economic extinction level event (laughs) 
Yeah, I was listening to Planet Money, shout out, on NPR, and they were talking about it. And they said, throw out the 08 crisis, throw out the Great Depression and what happened in the 1980s. This would be, it would be the worst economic downturn in history. Because you have the largest... Worse than the Great Depression? Yeah. Wow. You would have the largest creditor on earth not paying its bills. And because of, you know, globalization, every country is connected in some way financially. Even countries like Iran and North Korea are connected to the international community somehow financially. Those countries would be crushed. Our allies would be crushed in the EU, the UK, in Asia. And it's really just, it shouldn't even be a discussion. I'm, and I, this is probably just the partisanship in me speaking, but using the debt ceiling as a hostage to get what you want uh, should never be an option for Democrats or Republicans. That should never be an option. You should not yeah. threaten the future of literally every child on earth just because you want to cut 85,000 IRS agents from the budget. Yes. Yeah, so hearing the arguments going on between like Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden right now, it's kind of making me think back to 2019 when Nancy Pelosi and Trump were going at it. And it, mm -hmm. it was nowhere close to as crazy as it is right now. But Donald Trump said at the desk of the Oval Office that this is not something this should not be a political football. This is not something that people should be utilizing at like to get what they want out of it. And mm -hmm. it's a very, 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 very rare Trump dub in that one statement. Mm -hmm. And I only know that that happened because I was on TikTok and I saw a video posted by the Lincoln project, <laughs> which we're not supposed to support, but that's beside the point. And it was, it was funny because it was that clip of Trump, saying these things and then it cut away to a clip of um home alone where it was like send this to kevin send this to kevin and i thought that that was really funny I can't imagine anybody ever even thinking of using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge would anybody ever use that to negotiate with they said absolutely not that's a sacred element of our country they can't use the debt ceiling to negotiate A debt ceiling is like giving your child a credit card, and they charge the limit all the way up. Would you just raise the limit? No. <laughs> so, and and back in 2019, um, we saw some like similar arguments made by both sides, and I'm glad that you brought up that both parties shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. Um. Because, I mean, I thought the same thing in 2019. But, like yeah. like I said a minute ago, it was nowhere close to as bad as what this is. Because yeah. the, the arguments were between Trump and Pelosi before Congress left for their break. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, trying to beat the debt ceiling. It was, it was uh, not nearly as, as scary. And, like, from a non- policy wonk perspective like we're not talking about the politics or the policy or anything like that it's honestly just kind of terrifying yeah it's kind of scary hearing like hearing what you said where it'll be worse than the great depression 
and hearing Congress people say, oh, this is going to be really bad. Um, and I want to, like, yeah. I, th I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people are confused about the difference between defaulting and a government shutdown. These are not mm -hmm. the same things. I've seen a lot right. of people talk about, oh, well, this happens like every year. No, it doesn't. Government shutdowns happen pretty often. That's just when the federal government doesn't function. It's when federal employees aren't paid, parks are shut down, um, certain services aren't available. And that's bad. Don't get me wrong. Right. Defaulting is a whole different beast because it affects every single person, whether you're a public sector employee, private sector, self-employed, even if you're unemployed, because it would basically say to the world, the United States is not a trustworthy institution to uh, give out loans to. And uh, people either wouldn't loan money to the government, which is bad, or when the government uh, is given a loan by a bank, it would pay a much higher interest rate, which would jack up the debt ceiling even more in the future. So it's, it's, it's a lose-lose situation no matter what you do. So just don't do it. So a lot of times I hear that we're either going to default on our debt, send the world into economic chaos, or we're going to reach an agreement with McCarthy's plan being influenced by kind of the MAGA wing. Or the third option would be uh, McCarthy not being speaker anymore. Yeah. And there's other options that Congress could take. There were, I think House Dems have a discharge petition in the chamber to, uh, if they could get enough moderate Republicans on their side, they could just raise the debt ceiling that way. Now, that's super unlikely because even moderate Republicans uh, aren't going to abandon their caucus because they know that if they do, uh, they're not getting any money from Kevin McCarthy's leadership pack for re-election in 2024. So, yeah, they're going to be treated like Liz Cheney. Yeah, but we will definitely uh, keep listeners updated on that because talks are still ongoing about the debt ceiling too. Um, I, Biden actually gave a speech yesterday about it that I watched, and I think they made progress, but of course there's still no deal currently. And I think they have till june 1st or mid-june till the treasury uh quote unquote runs out of money to pay uh its creditors so let's talk because you you brought up 2024 and you brought up joe biden so it's been a while since we re recorded an episode and one major thing in the 2024 presidential election happened and what was that joe joe biden is running for re-election and I, I know that people, specifically young people, aren't exactly uh, excited about Biden running for re-election. But um, again, coming from my partisan biases, um, he's our best shot. Because yeah. why wouldn't you? Why would you just get rid of the incumbent president that beat? The previous president made him a one-term president, hopefully, 
why are you going to vote for someone else? Why would you vote for someone like Marion Williamson or Robert Kennedy Jr.? Right. Who, let's be very clear, Robert Kennedy Jr. is not like his father or his grandfather, John Kennedy. Way, way different than those two. They're both just weird. They're both weird. <laughs> They're both, both anti-vaxxers. Marion Williamson Which is weird. Said, yeah. Marion Williamson has said some weird things about um, people with autism, antidepressants that uh, most people would not be on board with if they knew about it. Well, it's not even like they're anti-vax like in a COVID sense. They're anti-vax in like a normal, everybody gets vaccinated for these things sense. Like meningitis. Measles. um, Whooping cough. Like, (laughs) what? Way out of step, even with, I think, people that didn't get the COVID vaccine. Yeah, it's a whole different argument. It's, It's crazy, but... Regardless, this is not an endorsement of Joe Biden. This is not. Yeah. But it's just, he was the only candidate in 2020 that people thought could beat Donald Trump. And I don't understand why some people don't think that that's still the case right now. It'd be like, uh, for example, Bill Clinton unseated uh, George H.W. Bush in the 90s. And um, of course, H.W. Bush didn't run again uh, because he wasn't he wasn't a goofball. But imagine if but imagine if H.W. Bush decided to run again in 1996, and then everyone was like, "Why why why would we put Bill Clinton up against him again? Why would we do that?" It's a silly argument. It's really really goofy line of reasoning. So the DNC is going to be in Chicago. And the last time it was in Chicago was Bill Clinton. And they did the Macarena. So hopefully one of us or both of us gets to go to the DNC in Chicago because I will be doing the Macarena. Um, Which is better than what... That's better than what the last... Like prior to that when it was in Chicago. Yeah, that one was... Everyone should read up on what happened at the DNC in Chicago in nineteen in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, you should all read the book, the conspiracy trial of the Chicago Seven, or something like that, and watch the movie on Netflix, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. Yeah, but we have about ten minutes left, so let's use that to talk about international politics it's been a big couple of weeks for international elections that we're not going to get into we're going to talk specifically about one that means a lot more to the two of us and that is the uk local elections so joe what the hell happened so yeah what the hell happened for the conservative (laughs) party um so Local elections in England were what was that like two weeks? It was about two weeks ago. Yeah, and the, their local elections they elect councillors to their councils. I think the equivalent would be like electing a county council or county commissioner in the U.S. Think of it right. like that. And the the late the sorry the ruling Conservative Party just took a goddamn beating. They really bad. So they lost over 1,000 seats. Uh, the 
opposition Labour Party gained 537 seats, and which is a more social democratic left-wing party. And the what's most notable, I think, that not a lot of people are talking about is the more centrist liberal democrat party gained 407 seats and then um the green party gained 250 seats which is also notable because they did not control a lot of councillor seats before this election yeah if we're Um, talking about um like percentage increase the green party gained the most amount of seats compared to what they had before yeah i think they in the only party that had a negative percentage was the conservative party and the party that had the highest percentage was the the greens and it's really interesting because i was um i'm this information is coming from the bbc and also it's called tldr news uk a very great youtube channel i love tldr and so i was i was watching their uh breakdown of the uk local elections and What's very interesting is that Labour did very well. Um, they're widely expected to trounce the Conservative Party, whether when the, when the general is held in 2024 or earlier when it's called. Um, but compared to Tony Blair's uh, performance in local elections before that general election, Labour did not do as well. They didn't do bad, but it's just they did mm, they did meh. So. I think it will be interesting to see how this affects the general election whenever it's held, because I don't know if we can say Labor is going to have like a Tony Blair majority in the House of Commons. They'll have a majority, sure. Is it going to be like literally almost 400 seats? Probably not if they only gained 500 seats in local elections. What would be interesting um, and hopefully Kale can bring back more info about this when he comes back from the UK over the summer is how many seats the liberal Democrats are going to gain because maybe they gain enough that they have a say in forming a government, which would be extremely rare. The The only time that's happened, yeah. the only time they've been involved in a coalition government was with David Cameron back in like 2013, I think. So very interesting um, just because of how many scandals that the conservative party was just doused in since covid happened been They've through had so many prime ministers they just keep cycling through them they keep having leadership spills which is really funny but also definitely bad for the stability of the country um it's just so embarrassing like they they're looked from at least a u.s perspective i know they're looked on as like a joke but even i think in the uk people don't take them seriously anymore and it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out when the next general's held. Yeah, so um, I'm glad you brought up TLDR. So I have a question. Um, in the TLDR video where they analyze the election results, they talk about how in 2019, um, the conservatives lost a lot of seats. Not nearly as much as now, but they lost a lot of seats. Yeah. Um, and that led directly to the resignation of Theresa May as mm-hmm. prime minister. So in the last election, they lost roughly like 1,300 uh, councillor seats. And I think they lost 40 something councils. 
Do you think that this spells the end for Rishi Sunak as prime minister? You think it would. You really think it would. I don't know. How long after did local elections did Theresa May resign? Not too long after, but at the same time, her resignation was also influenced by Brexit. That's true. I don't... I think he's survived simply because um, it would just be embarrassing if they had another prime minister step down. I don't even know who would replace him. They would probably bring back Boris Johnson to replace that, him. That's what I've heard. And that would, I think that would be the worst decision they could make. But it also, they should totally do it because that would really, that would really own labor. Right. Yeah. And Carrie Lake should run for Senate in Arizona. And uh, Doug Mastriano should run for Senate in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> it would really own the libs. It so would. But that being said, uh, we got about five-ish minutes left. So, Joe, give us an update. What have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Why did we have to take a hiatus? So, as everyone knows, me and Kale are in college at CSU. Um, we had finals. We had a lot of papers to wrap up. Uh, I'm pretty sure for everyone at Policy Wonk, they went very well. Um, yeah. I got very good grades on all my research papers, all my finals. But... Now that it's the summer, and even though me and Kale are sadly separated between Cleveland and Columbus, sad, um, we're still going to get back to weekly episodes. And yeah, we missed everyone. We missed. We did. We missed. We missed our policy wonkers. We did. That's why we were cranking out some YouTube videos because it's the closest thing we could have gotten to uh, the the thrill of being podcasters. Of being influencers, per se. Niche internet micro-celebrities, you would say. But, <laughs> Joe, do you, do we have any plans for the summer, apart from weekly episodes? Well, I'm still figuring out my sideshow. I don't have a name yet. That's the only Untitled thing I'm Joe back. Show. <laughs> Untitled Joe Show. But I know a certain someone is heading over across the pond. I am. And I do plan on doing a couple episodes of Shaw Talk where I kind of dissect British politics because I would be kind of in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also I also want to talk about uh, EU politics. I want to follow the EU while I'm over there. So I will also be posting on the Policy Wonk Twitter an image of me eating beans and toast for the meme. Just just saying going to be a horrific day it's going to be a terrible it's going to be day. we're going to lose followers actually we're going to they're actually going to get delisted from uh rss or whatever the podcast feed is <laughs> <laughs> but anyways we missed everyone we're glad to be back and it was we'll see you again next week <laughs>